it's hard work to stay in a genuine eye posture and place. It's hard work. I feel like anytime there's internal and external incongruence, either inside of us, inside and outside the relationship, it's like we're fighting this unconscious battle while we're fighting whatever we're fighting about. I do think that when we are incongruent, I'll add this layer. I think it is confusing for our spouse and they have no idea why. And that could have to do with my incongruence. It could have to do with your incongruence, but it, it, it definitely throws a pretty nasty uh, curveball in the mix. Congruence is, it is more of a process than a destination as you described that. It's not, okay, I now decide to be congruent. It is a process. We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain, and I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Okay, so we are going to delve into a topic today that we get asked about all the time to speak to. All the time. All the time. All the time. And so, and that is how we do marriage coaching and how we walk with couples through pursuing a healthy marriage, um, going from okay to great and flourishing, um, the skill sets that we walk them through and teach them. Um, and so we get asked a lot. So y'all, we're, we're going to give it away for free. Yeah. So just, just so you know, we are giving this gift to the world today and we're excited to do so. Um, cause yep. it's one of our favorite topics. And we get asked this question by a lot of different people. Like we're not just, I mean, friends, um, I don't know, I know in my family, like, how do you work with this? Because mm-hmm. uh, we're we're robust dialoguers in my family, so we like to dive <laughs> into topics like that. Um, uh, friends that are in the ministry, mm-hmm. colleagues that are in the ministry, like, how do you work with this with a couple? Yeah, like, tell me, tell me how you do this thing. How do you deal with this issue? We are we are fairly regularly asked to unpack this with people, and um. And then, of course, we get asked when couples first come in, mm-hmm. uh, to, like, what are we going to do? And I think sometimes, you know, we are we are sex therapists and educators. And so um, we we hang out in that world a lot. But I think it surprises people that even when we're talking about sexual issues, we are starting in these categories. There is just basics that every couple need, mm-hmm. every couple need mm-hmm. that are oftentimes not there. Mm-hmm. They're not there. Yeah. And I, when, I mean, and I, every couple I start with, we talk about these skills that are not here. Mm-hmm. And I, I go real quick. We're going to get rid of, we're going to, we're going to fight shame. We're going to ask it to leave the room because I think then we can shame spiral over the skills not existing when, you know, it's not very common that people go, oh, yeah, so my parents sat me down, talked about healthy connection and communication and vulnerability. You know, we all had to, to learn these things at some point. And so um, 
I think some of the, because when you speak to like sex therapy and like, okay, wait, what, what are we doing? We're not talking about our sex life yet. We're going to talk about communication. Hang on. Um, yeah. Some of the resistances, one, it's a new concept map. And then two, I think sometimes shame is going, you don't know this and you should. And so we work real hard on getting oh, the totally. shoulds out of the space for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm going to say this, and I, I knew I was going to talk about this at some point. Um, in the episode, I guess this is as good a time as ever. I, I work with a lot of people that sometimes even technically know, technically know the skill, Mm -hmm. but haven't the foggiest idea how to successfully execute. I mean, what we're going to talk about today is to some degree, not going to be mind blowing for a lot of people. They will have heard a lot of this. Um, you know, at least one of these points we've done a previous episode on. Um, but what I find to be, uh, really the difference is one, if you're just teaching to, I don't know, to technically, technically do the skill, it's just not the same as teaching to like actually mastering the essence or the, um, the overall principle of the skill, that's a, that's just a totally, that's a totally different ball game. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of people who know, who know the technical, you know, we're talking about communication scripts. We're talking about kind of like conflict rules, whatever, you know, category we're, we're, we're covering. And I, I have watched them technically execute. Mm Mm-hmm but for all intents and purposes are breaking every single rule in the book. And so just technically knowing these and technically executing Mm -hmm. is not enough. And that's, that's some of what sets what you and I do apart from the rest is we, we kind of call that stuff out. Right. Cause I think, and, and though I understand going for technical because we all want a formula and a grid, but the technical, not only does it not work, but sometimes you end up, what we would say, losing your spouse in, in the conversation, in the dialogue, mm-hmm. because they're going, I hear the technical formula. I do not feel connected to you or, I, or worse, I feel harmed or Some hurt. Help manipulated yes you're using this tool so you can technically be in the right but you are by no means connecting with me i don't feel empathy i'm not experiencing this as loving Mm -hmm. oh absolutely yeah we deal with that a lot um and so and again we're going to kind of give I don't know, bird's eye view of the concept map that we're looking for as foundational skills for really good deep marriages. Some of what happens as far as what I just said, and you and I just unpacked like the essence and the spirit of the skill, mastering that as well. That stuff happens in coaching. Mm-hmm. Like to for someone to be sitting there watching you do it and go, nope, try again. <laughs> and that's what, that's what it feels like when you work with me. I'm just saying, I'm like, nope, stop it. Nope. You know, and I'm catching it in the room Mm -hmm. and sending it back to the spouse that tried to fire it off and say, try again. That's not quite right. You know, let's, let's go again. And so I, I think that, um, 
so for any for any couple or minister or person listening that's like okay well i know these why isn't it working for me i'll i'll just give you the the spark notes version it's probably because you're executing to the to the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. And that's not going to get you where you want. Mm -hmm. That's just, it's just not going to get you where you want. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's dive in. Okay. So these are foundational skills that are either missed. We weren't given them skipped or undertaught, mm -hmm. right? Lacking coaching. Um, and we've, we've got them in four main buckets for us to kind of organize our concept map. And I, I don't even think this is absolutely all of them, but this is all we thought we could fit in a single episode. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to touch on, on the high points and, and just high level unpack them and try to offer the concept model a, a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit today. So we start with communication. I, yeah, there's not a couple situation dynamic issue from which I do not start with communication. Even if I'm working with a professional communicator. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Even if that's what they do for a living. They're speakers, they're presenters, they're, mm -hmm, they're trainers. Mm -hmm. Executives, pastors, that kind of thing. Um, that's actually some of the most... It's, we have to spend a couple sessions sometimes, you know, cause it's, you know, that's hard because I think it's a new language, right? It's to go from, oh, I can communicate. I mean, and I would, I would say this for myself when I think about eons ago when I started learning all this stuff thinking, yes. well, I, I speak well, I don't need this. And then you go, <laughs> oh, I, this is a totally new language. And like Rosetta Stone yeah. did not cover it. Oh my goodness. Uh. <laughs> And when we start with communication, we start from the position of the I or I statements, as some would call it. This is not new. This is not new, but it is because, again, people, I like to call them slippery I statements. Mm -hmm. Some people technically use an I statement, but they are not using an I statement. They're very much so talking about you. It might as well be a you statement. Mm-hmm. I, I know I know you, Kimberly. You don't let people get away with that in your office. I sure as heck don't. I do not. Yes. No. Yeah. Those are always <laughs> like, oh, yes, I have I statements. So I am angry that you, and we go into all the description of the you, and it's just like, no, that's all about the you. You just started with I, but it's all about the you. Um, and I just... When I start here, we talk about I statements because that, that's really for, for the truest way and form of connection, we have to start with the I because I think, and if everyone could just pause for a second and think about hearing a phrase that starts with, hey, so here's where I am, here's what I'm feeling, mm -hmm. here's what I'm needing versus, hey, you did you, you, I mean, I immediately, like if you pay attention to your body and I'll have couples do this, pay attention to your body with a statement and we'll kind of play with a you mm -hmm. statement and mm -hmm. inevitably you feel the tension, you feel defensive, you're already forming your argument in your mm -hmm. head for why you didn't and you've lost connection and the rupture has happened. And so yeah. something that we can take for granted is just 
standing in the position of I. Here's where I am. Here's my experience. Uh, and two big reasons I think we get tempted to step out of the I. Um, if you're kind of the initial giver of information and the communication, so you're starting, I think the, the, the temptation to not be truly in, and you did such a beautiful job just then of like really painting a picture of the essence of being in an I position, Mm -hmm. not just technically using an I statement. Um, we get tempted not to start there. Because I think the big assumption is if I don't start by putting you in your place, I won't get heard. So I'm not going to start with sharing myself. I'm going to start by calling your butt out, mm-hmm. even in the sweetest way possible. And then if we're the, if we are receiving first and the first to respond, I think, I think what, Uh, I see a lot in my office, the temptation to move out of the I statement comes from, oh, I need to defend myself because their I experience is somehow a reflection of me. And to a degree, it might be their I experience is based on how you've impacted them. So it is related to you. Mm -hmm. But, and I I might be skipping ahead a bit. There's a lack of Mm self-differentiation and we'll talk about that in a second. And so I now have to defend my intentions by talking about how you are wrong about how that played out. And, and again, we're about to unpack some other principles, but I think those are the two biggest temptations on the giving and receiving side that like it may, I think it makes people nervous and they're like, I can't stay in this I position and get what I get my needs met in a relationship. Oh yeah. It, and when you get into vulnerability and safety, I mean, and we get into our, you know, our, our limbic, brain where it's fight, flight, freeze, or fold. And it's, it's, it's so unproductive, but it, it, it offsets something inside of us, which is why this is, and I validate it for everyone. It's hard work to stay in a genuine eye posture and place. It's hard work. It's hard work. And that's also why it's a red flag for me when people act like they got this. And they, and this is so elementary and they've learned it a long time ago. Like, I can't believe we're starting here. And I'm like, no, you don't got this. Cause I like, if you really understood mm-hmm. the work of staying in the I position, you would not have that attitude right now. Mm-hmm. You would have been like, oh my goodness, Jenna. Yes. I mastered that a long time ago. That was so hard to do. I mean, the posture would be different. So anybody who kind of comes in hot on, on and lacking humility, I'm like, <laughs> you don't get the I position. I'm not, I'm not buying this for two seconds. Do not pass go. Go back to jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, what's next? Um, then we talk about feelings, emotional language. Someone called this emotional intelligence. Um, Got to name your feelings, name your emotions. This is a difficult one too. Again, we talk about undertaught, didn't get taught the skill. Most tiny humans were not given an emotional narrative or language or words. And there are there might be a few, mad, happy, sad, but there's not nuance or complexity to it. The other thing I'm going to add here, and, and this is like a whole, like, I don't know, three episode series that would need to be unpacked. I think there's some gender bias about this mm. and layered with what you just said. So most tiny humans weren't given what they, they, were, they need to develop this emotional intelligence, which is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. 
And additionally, there's this idea that it is a female oriented skill. Mm -hmm. And if it's this underdeveloped female oriented skill, and I mean, this is in, this is in the books. This is where we get these ideas like hysteria. Like it's not, it's not seen as a strength. It's like, so we've got like gender bias and poor systemic understanding of this plus underdevelopment, lack of education and skills historically. Mm-hmm. I do not see a lot of people walk in with this. No, no. And I, you know, and I think to the gender issue, I think, and then a lot of women are going, I'm expected to be really good at this and know this. And cause the women are the feelers oh, and I, I don't, I'm having shame because all I know is had happy, mad, had mad, happy, sad. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? And I can't, um, I can't do this. Um, Oh yeah. The flip side of that. I'm supposed to be able to do this as a woman. Well, you probably didn't get what you needed either. So yet no, no. Yeah. Um, you probably weren't handed the skills. And then I too, I too, I think, you know, I think about, uh, personality, you know, you and I speak Enneagram and I think about, you know, there's, I think sometimes it's more about personality and wiring and and some personalities are feelings repressed. Some are, you know, feelings are just right there, but then they don't have the language. And so I think I've seen that where it's like, I have all the feelings, but I don't know which one it is because I just, I don't know how to share it. I don't know how to share it or convey it or which one it is. It's all happening on the inside, but I can't get it out in this effective and productive and helpful way in my relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, one of the things that I see show up as we work through communication skills that is at war with this is this idea that if you hang out too long or spend time at all talking about feelings, you inevitably are not going to get the message across because the data is more important. Mm-hmm. And so it's this rush to get the data exchanged. And don't get me wrong. Information is helpful. I mean, we want clarity. But we also want clarity about the like the connection. I've got couples that run very smooth sailing ships as far as their households and marriages, but don't ever feel connected and intimate. And I'm like, well, that's because you're really good at data exchange and business and contracts, but you're not very good at feelings. Mm-hmm. They're they're missing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's that's a huge. A huge dynamic. One, you know, maybe don't have the skill or all we know is data. Um, But then, you know, again, it's just really intimidating to develop emotional intelligence and to feel like you're a toddling around again because that's really what it is. You feel like a two or three-year-old that's like, well, which one on the feelings chart is this? Um, So data feels safer, you know. It does. You don't have to, like, feel – you don't have to be humbled mm-hmm. because you can feel really competent in the data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of, we're kind of avoiding that humility of, Oh man, I got to find my feeling words and I'm not very good at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a strong place. No, it's not. No, it's hard. It's so difficult on a lot of levels. So difficult. You, um, being an Enneagram four, uh, are, are in some ways a, in in your health, Enneagram fours, they are like the masters of textured feelings and words and finding that language. And probably one of my favorite things about you. Um, and it has helped grow so many, so many things for me as a socialite. But 
I want you to share this next point because I think you do such a beautiful job. Part of emotional intelligence is congruence. Mm -hmm. Help our people understand that. Yeah, I think it goes, I mean, we were talking earlier sometimes about, about the person that maybe is feeling dominant but doesn't have a language and so the internal doesn't match the external. Um, I think when we go data before emotions, um, the conversation is incongruent um, because you're missing the person um, in front of you um, to, to get to data. And then I feel yes. like anytime there's internal and external incongruence, it either inside of us, inside and outside the relationship, um, it's like we're fighting this unconscious battle while we're fighting whatever we're fighting about, you know, because it's like things just. It feels like a lot as you say that. Yeah. Like, that just feels like It's a just lot. a lot in the space um, to sit there and go, okay, well, we're fighting about the fact that you didn't take out the trash can. And that's why I'm you know, talking to you like this. And here's my four plan, uh, four point plan for how you can do better at, you know, I'm like the whole time missing. I don't feel safe. Uh, I don't feel like I have a voice. I don't feel like I've been heard because I've, I've asked five times about the trash can and I just don't feel seen or heard. And that's a real scary place for me. I'm like, that's congruent. Versus sitting here and like you, it's interesting because most folks when they're fighting, when they're incongruent, like you don't really fully get to resolve and that's frustrating. It's like, why can't we figure out this thing with the trash can? It's not even a big deal. Why am I even this angry about it? But I'm just going to go after oh, yeah. you for it. And it's oh, yeah. like, oh, it's probably because there's incongruence and there's something inside of you that's not coming out into the space in the conversation and your spouse doesn't know about it. Um, they're probably having their own incongruence. And so that, again, when you go to I statements, naming your feelings, it begins to bring a sense of congruence into the relationship and inside of yourself, which then can be very calming, um, even in difficult well, circumstances. I think you're right. I think your spouse doesn't know what's happening for you. But I, I do think that when we are incongruent, I'll add this layer. I think it is confusing for our spouse and they have no idea why. Yes. They're like, you're saying this thing, but I don't experience you that way. And then, oh, that's, that's a hard place to be in as a partner and a spouse. So incongruence throws a wrench on both sides. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're saying that, that doesn't, I'm not, mm, I doesn't feel, you know, and that could have to do with my incongruence. It could have to do with your incongruence, but it, it, it definitely throws a pretty nasty uh, curveball in the mix. And so, you know, some of the work is helping couples find that mm -hmm. and getting them to that space where I, I know one of my favorite ways of doing this is when, um, they give me the right answer instead of the real answer. That that's something that a lot of people hear me say in the process. And I, I, I literally person of the therapist, person of the coach in the room going, uh, being congruent and going, I don't know if I believe you and actually letting that be in the space and going, is that the right answer or the real answer? Cause I just don't believe you in this. And that might be mine. I'm using all those eye positions I, but to be curious and go, I just am having a hard time believing that. Mm -hmm. 
And to invite them to actually name both the real thing happening inside of them and invite them into that congruence and to name the right answer as the thing they're trying to move toward Mm -hmm. and to let them exist in tension. I mean, that's one of my favorite things to walk a couple through is go right answer, real answer. And they'll go, Oh, you know, after we've been working for a while, they're like, right answer. I'm like, okay, what's the real answer? And I go, can you let them coexist? Mm -hmm. You know, that is so diffusing for the other spouse because that is exactly how your spouse is experiencing you. Mm -hmm. Real answer emotionally. But, but when you can be honest about that and congruent, they will buy that you're trying to move toward the right answer. Mm -hmm. They can go there. They can, there's buy-in, when we have that complete and total honest, you know, thing going on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and unless we be unclear or incongruent, um, congruence mm-hmm. is, it is more of a process than a destination. As you described that it's not, okay, I'll decide mm-hmm. to be congruent. It is a process to go. Here's what's incongruent for me. Here's the right answer. Here's how far off I am mm-hmm. because here's the real answer, which then and that's humbling. It takes a lot of humility and, and that, but our spouse experiences us as congruent, even in our incongruence, if that makes sense. And so I think I want to free up yes. all of the personality types. Yes. I'm looking at you ones and you threes out there who were like, <gasps> how do I achieve a congruence? Because this is going to get me a better marriage Um, to go. Some of it's going, here's where I'm incongruent and I know what is right. And I know what is real. And this is how far off I am from that. And that's, that's so hard. It's so painful. I'll also say it's so freeing. And most individuals, when they can lean into that and then their spouse experiences that with them, just take a breath because there's just such freedom in that. It's freedom for both. Mm -hmm. It is. uh, And so let me kind of, kind of hook around and, and, and summarize what we've talked about so far. The reason we teach this and it is so foundational is because it is connecting. It is wildly intimate. It is personally healthy and it is diffusing. Mm-hmm. There, there is something that happens in our nervous systems. It helps us. It helps us co-regulate to have this type of skill set. It helps us um, both find our calm. Like you, even as you were just talking about that congruence, it was like you even took a breath to like model what happens and like this big deep sigh, because that's what it does for both parties. Mm-hmm. It is de-escalating to, to move through the space like this. So again, I mean, we didn't invent the I position like that's documented long before us. We're not the first people to talk about emotional intelligence and congruence. I do think when we work with people, we really make sure they capture the essence of those skills, not just technically. And that that's, it, it is, it is one of the differences that we emphasize in our process with people. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's big, big deal. For me, oh, yeah. this is foundational to the thing that everybody thinks we do all day long, every day of the week, which is sexual communication. Y'all, if you can't do regular communication safely 
intimately in a connected, clear fashion, you can not talk about your private parts and the special parts of your body and the way God created things. Like, it's just not going to go well. Okay. It's just, it's going to be terrible. Mm -mm. Don't try this at home, kids. Like, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and people won't. Like, think about the humility, the ownership, the work of the eye of emotional intelligence, congruence, getting past that exchange. And what I see all the time is once we learn that skill, Sexual communication really just, it's cruising at that point because you can look and did, say. Did, did you hear it, everyone? She's giving you the secret sauce. I am for, for free, y'all. So love y'all lots. Um, your, your sex life and your, your communication about your sexuality begins to just soar because you can go, oh, hang on. Let me check in with myself. Oh, okay. Here's what's happening for me. Here's what I need. And you just apply mm-hmm. that to sex. Yep. But I think everyone thinks that sexual communication is super different. Um, and in some ways, I think, I think they can overreach. Yeah, I, I just don't think it is. Um, and, and I think just this process alone is so vulnerable and so intimate. Once you can start strengthening it, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we work with couples and we're like, okay, so we're going to start with communication and that they're like, okay, whatever makes sense. Don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And then we get what a few sessions in. they're like, I thought we were here to work on our sex life. And what do we say? I am mm-hmm. drop mic. I am, I am working on your sex life. This is what needs to happen to work on said sex life. We've got to get you guys effectively communicate this foundational intimacy is so important. Mm -hmm. It's so important. And I know a lot of people, leaders, followers, all the categories that either skip or cheapen this step. And it only shortcuts them only shortcuts what they ultimately have said they want. Mm -hmm. So it makes me very, very sad. Yeah. It's so foundational. So foundational. Next bucket. Next foundational bucket. What you say? Boundaries and differentiation. Um, Which my, hus- my husband likes to walk around announcing to everybody that boundaries is my, my middle name and favorite word. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might be an eight if. <laughs> boundaries. <laughs> um, we say that you can't have a yes without a no, you know? Um, so true. And if you think, you think about that, that is powerful. Um, and again, a lot of folks, family of origin come from, you know, environments where keeping the peace or pleasing or out of fear or just lots of reasons. Boundaries just aren't taught. You weren't given that gift. And, so the skill's not there or they don't feel safe or available to have. And, and a lot of times mm-hmm. in some families of origin, like, it wouldn't have been safe and it would have been wise, but it would be safe and wise to have that in your marriage. And so you have to redeem that process from the inside out just as the individual. But you can see here where if we follow the previous step, if I say no from the I, I am saying mm-hmm. no for, for me and what's happening. For me. For me. 
And when I say no for, to whatever it is, Chinese food, um, coleslaw, coleslaw, you got a big note for coleslaw, sex. <laughs> what it means is just a note for me. I'm saying no for me, and it's not a no to you and your personhood and rejection of all that you are. I just don't want to eat coleslaw with you. I'm not a coleslaw fan. It's not going to happen. I just don't like it. It's a no to coleslaw. It's not a no to you, Kimberly. It's a no to coleslaw. And just going, okay. But saying that, again, you can see, saying that from the eye um, and being able to set that boundary is really, really important. Um, Because if we can't have this, then what does the yes really mean? It's not. I mean, if you've ever seen, and I always have the hardest time finding it. There's this like video clip of someone like interviewing Brene Brown. And she talks about like, all these things without boundaries. And when you when, like love without boundaries inherently changes the definition of love and service without boundaries inherently changes the definition of what's how it's, you can't be service anymore. And so, yeah, intimacy without boundaries inherently changes the definition of what's, what's, what's being exchanged. And so boundaries are so uh, foundational mm-hmm. to, to what's happening uh, we did an episode a while back. We'll put a link to it in the show notes on the drama triangle. I think this is one of um, the ways that we get we get um, tricked. Feels like the wrong word, but we get kind of get tricked into losing our boundaries. Like we don't realize it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's very slippery, uh, and we talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which has everything to do with boundaries um, and being aware of where you've lost them or you're forcing them onto other people or, you know, what, depending on what role you're playing on the drama triangle and we'll tell you a lot about your boundaries. It'll also tell you a lot about your differentiation. Um, yeah. And when we say differentiation, what we mean is um, I stand in front of another holding on to my full whole self um, they do the same. Um, this great movie, terrible, terrible line. You complete me, Jerry Maguire. Oh, I know. That. Shout out to Hollywood making relationships worse. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I'm dating myself there. I'm sure there's other movies where the you complete me thing is, talk, is talked about. But, um, you know, this idea that like I'm a half and my other half, my better half. It's like, no, no, no. We need two whole separate people and I stand where I am and the other stands where they are to make them a, a fuller experience. And I think, but, but to yeah. differentiate and again, to have boundaries and say, I'm differentiated. I don't like coleslaw. I, you're going <laughs> to have going to be the word of the session. You're going to have a barbecue and you asked me what sides I wanted. I said, Hey, no, that's not, I don't, it's not my thing. I don't like it. I can stand as a fully differentiated person going, it's my favorite barbecue side ever. I love it so much. Right. And that doesn't mean anything about you and it doesn't mean anything about me, but it's good to know because I I hear your no, you're not rejecting me. Um, we'll, we'll have another side. You know, and that's great. And as you say that, I, I, so I have this, 
I have this exercise that I'll do when working with couples where I will ask them to change the topic so that they will catch sight of the absurd pattern playing out between them. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. Like I am, I am just imagining changing it to coleslaw right now I because I'm enjoying what's happening on this episode a lot. That's now our um, new curriculum. It's our new word. It's our new processing <laughs> curriculum. Let's talk about coleslaw. That's the chapter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but how absurd it sounds to sit there over the barbecue picnic table and have a fight about you not liking coleslaw and what that's going to mean about me. I Can you imagine? Yeah, but you replace it with other things and that's what we're doing. Like, Jenna, why do you hate me? I don't hate you. I don't. Why do you hate me? Yeah, I don't hate you. I just don't like, I don't even hate coleslaw. I just don't, I just don't like coleslaw. Like, I don't, I don't want to eat it. But that must mean, no, it really doesn't. It doesn't mean a thing about you. It, it, like yeah, you didn't want seriously. You didn't want to come to my barbecue. You just didn't want to come to my barbecue. Is that is that what this is? I I'm here. I I simply do not want a serving of coleslaw. Down for the mac and cheese. Like big fan, big fan of the noodles. But I cannot. I, I'm I I'm allergic to cabbage. Okay, let's go that far. <laughs> I'm allergic to cabbage. And for you to go, you know, our relationships on the line. This has to mean something about where you and I are. And the whole and to be like. Nope. <laughs> the whole barbecue, I'm just upset and dysregulated and, you know, and we can all laugh about it, but we can all look at rupture. An area in our relationship. Yeah, look at a rupture mm-hmm. in your relationship, a tiff, a fight, a brawl, whatever you've had, and go, oh, yeah, I've done that. I did, I did that about coleslaw. This is coleslaw. Our coleslaw was this. Just fill in the blank, ladies and gentlemen. We've all had a coleslaw moment, okay? I've had a coleslaw moment. Kimberly, I'm sure you can name one. Mm-hmm. Like, we've all had a coleslaw moment, and we just need we just need a little come to Jesus about the coleslaw. That's, that's all. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's foundational for intimacy, this idea of boundaries and differentiation, because if, again... I can't connect with you unless I'm a full me. Yeah. Like, who are you really connecting with if I'm just not full me? Mm-hmm. And people talk about feeling lonely uh, in their in their marriages or, I mean, this is really true outside of marriages, although we're talking about marriages today. But, you know, if you get sucked up and disappear in every relationship, you actually, that's not connection you will feel deeply disconnected in all of those experiences because uh, let me just go back to the basics. Um, We talk about, and this is where emotional intelligence helps. Lonely tells us that we have a need for connection. And if you're going to answer it properly, it gives you the energy to be known. If you disappear as a form of false and cheap connection, you are not answering your lonely appropriately. You are not, in fact, attending to that feeling and that alarm system that is is wants good things for you. Like it fires off because it needs you to go get that need fed. Mm-hmm. But that lonely requires for you to be known, which means you have to have a you. Mm-hmm. You can't disappear. You can't lack boundaries. You have to be a full whole differentiated and boundary person absolutely and the connection is 
so rich when you have that. Oh, and yeah. It's, to your point, so sad when we don't. Um, yeah, and it's really, it's heartbreaking when you see someone who really doesn't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there are reasons that people get there and there are ways to walk out of it. Like I want to mm-hmm. kind of throw out that piece of hope. Mm-hmm. It's very doable. Um, it's hard work, but it's doable. The, both of these two buckets lead to the third bucket bucket just beautifully so uh, hello building blocks we kind of mentioned this in the beginning um third bucket introduce it ma'am conflict fighting brawling being mad at each other brawling um conflict it's um I think sometimes folks want us to start with sex when we're working with them. I think sometimes that's kind of of like fix the conflict. Um, If it's not always about sex, sometimes the conflict is about sex. Um, Sometimes it's about other things. Um, And I think the other skills that we have proceeded in this conversation are so needed for us to argue, fight, conflict well. Well, yes. Well being the imperative word here. And so if the goal is I'm coming from the I, I am sharing my feelings, I can hold on to myself and have boundaries, we are off the drama triangle, I think. Okay, so it's creating a very safe context um, because... For starters. We've got to start with safety when we talk about conflict. Uh, yeah. Which... You and I have, we typically spend a good amount of time unpacking safety. I think um, it, it's funny. So in in um, in the people work that we do, uh, there's there's a there's a term called enhancements where you will like kind of make things feel bigger in order to make the point. I tell you what, you whip out that word safety, just the word. Mm-hmm. You have like effectively done an enhancement uh, in the space because people go to a really dark place when you talk about there being a lack of safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, we, we interview our good friend, Matt, and he, he's so great about just calling a spade a spade uh, in his work. That's what we love about him. But uh, safety exists on a spectrum. So this doesn't have to be you know, a lack of safety doesn't have to be the same thing as an assault or um, some, well, again, y'all going to like listening to Matt. He's, he's coming. But um, this idea of abuse and safety existing on a spectrum. And so just disrespecting your spouse is abusive mm-hmm. and not creating safety to do all these other things we just said, mm-hmm. to be congruent and emotionally available and um, to have help, you know, to, to have this openness and intimate communication. And so um, safety is important and not being congruent tears down safety, because if what you're saying doesn't match with how I'm experiencing you, that doesn't feel safe. People miss that one. Mm-hmm. That's one of those really slippery, like, and I, and I, and then when we work with couples, you can, you can watch one spouse sit back and go. I can't put my finger on it, but I don't feel, I I don't 
this doesn't feel okay to me. They don't even use the word safe. That's what we use. We give them permission to use the big S word um, <laughs> because they think it's such an insult to the other person <laughs> to say it like that. But this idea that you being congruent, you being whole, you being in the I position, you being boundaried and uh, differentiated, that you being congruent is what builds safety. And so conflict can really be done well and thrive in the context of a safe relationship. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would argue it's like, it's like the gorilla glue that you dump on connection because conflict done well is extremely connecting. Mm-hmm extremely connecting mm-hmm. and to to kind of what you're saying without the previous things that we've discussed today we will stand in conflict and go into our safety systems and again the fight flies fight flight freeze or fold and we don't feel safe we aren't safe right you know, so you have all of those other basic building blocks. And again, safety is on a spectrum. But, you know, even the, whoa, I hear what you're saying. It's, I don't feel that is what's happening inside of you. So we have incongruence. You're using you statements. And I don't exactly know what you're feeling. I go limbic thinking, okay, my big assumption is something negative about me, something shame-inducing. And then, whoop, fight, fight, mm-hmm. freeze, I'm in my safety mechanisms and we're off to the races to a very unproductive conversation that inevitably just doesn't fully get resolved. In in fact, just escalates and gets Mm -hmm. messy. I'll add too, as you're describing like the spouse that goes into their safety mechanisms and goes limbic. I have even watched that spouse then turn around and lie Mm -hmm. about, no, I'm safe because again, we don't feel We don't feel like that's an okay thing to say. Like I'm not feeling safe right now without it being extremely offensive. Mm -hmm. And so they will say, no, 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 I'm fine. And you and I are watching their nervous system fire off going, I'm going to call this one, you know, (laughs) and to try to step into that safe in in a, in a soft way. Um, So again, we're now we're adding another layer of incongruence. We're lying about how we're experiencing the other person out of fear of, you know, insulting them. Hello, we're on the triangle again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just spirals. And so all that's why all of these pieces are so important. And we spend, you know, ideally six months working with a couple nailing these because I really do believe like once they get this, we might go on to work with them with something else, but a lot of couples can actually step into their own space really well when they have been taught this at the level that you and I believe it should be taught and coached. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have such a deep belief in that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, one of the big um, saboteurs of conflict, understanding the difference between understanding someone and offering them validation and that not being the same thing as agreeing. Kimberly, break it down. (laughs) This one is, uh, we camp out here a lot. Um, Camp. We get stuck here with some couple. I mean, like we make laps around this track. Yeah. Because I think somewhere along the line, and I don't know the original author of this, they're like, so the goal of conflict is get to agreement. And... If you think about that goal and break it down, so you're arguing about something, you're in different places, and the end goal, the finish line is we both agree exactly the same. 
You have two humans, two personalities, two backgrounds, two needs, on and on it goes. And so I think where we get stuck in this really difficult cycle is, okay, okay, try again. Round two, round three, round 455, because we can't get to agreement when... Because it's a bad goal. Yeah. It's a bad goal. It's a bad goal. The goal needs to be, help me understand where you are, and I would like to be understood as well. Again, going back to the skills that we've taught earlier, I want to be able to hear where you stand as a differentiated, healthy person and what you're feeling and go, oh, so this is what's happening for you, huh? What you're feeling, what you're needing. And what's incongruent for you? Oh, okay. Well, here's me. And we do that. Sometimes what we're arguing about just fades away. And then sometimes we can actually come up with a plan. And then sometimes we walk away with the grief that we're really in different places, aren't we? Well, I, I love that you went to, you. well, we go a hundred directions. You just, you just plopped a whole bunch on our people here. A whole bunch of good, but like, uh, you know, we, we got to break this down. I'm glad you went to the differentiation piece because when you were doing that first run of playing out the logic, what I was experiencing was that belief system that we've got to get to agreement is actually behaviorally teaching the opposite of differentiation. Mm -hmm. One of us has got to become like the other for us to get some resolve on this. Mm -hmm. What a terrible, what a terrible teaching. Mm Mm-hmm. As opposed to honoring. It teaches the opposite. You're there. I'm here. What does that mean for the thing in front of us? Yeah. I, I, um, this, this is really hard and I, you know, I, I am continuing to deep dive on origins and all sorts of things in my, you know, abundance of spare time because I do realize like in some disciplines, validation is the proof of agreement, like, like math being one. (laughs) If you validate a problem, you are showing agreement, right? And so I do think there are spaces, um, and I secretly love math, which is not, not common for most people in in our field. Um, but I, I do, I do think that maybe there's some bleed over from some things like that, where, um, we, we think that we, we have to agree in thought because I'm trying to offer validation, but what we're really offering validation for is that their experience is real and I'm holding it without judgment. Mm-hmm. And in which case you kind of can't agree, right? Like who am I to go, Hey, Kimberly, I just don't agree with how you're experiencing yourself. Like, please let me crawl inside your noggin and like correct that for you. I, I just, that's why it is absolutely so insulting for someone to invalidate you. Mm-hmm. Um, just be like, no, 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 you're not feeling that. And you know, I'm like, who are you? I'm sorry. Nope. Like we're not doing that. So a different form of validation maybe than what some people are used to. I'll, I will, I will, allow that into the space. But what we're talking about is I'm going to validate that these are the feelings you've shared with me. They're real. They matter. And I am not going to argue with what's happening inside your brain and body 
that like in any way that would dismiss that it's really happening for you. Yeah. This leads me to one that's a big, big one for me. I tend to teach that um, we don't really know how to compromise. So you actually said there's going to be this moments where in our healthy conflict and safety and good communication and all things we've said so far that we're going to come to this place where we realize we have some deep differences and grieve that. Um, you know, I, I get asked sometimes, well, like what if we disagree and nobody's changing anybody's minds and then what do we do? Because there's like a decision on the table or there's something that needs to be done or whatever. Um, I always talk about foundationally, um, compromises are a part of marriage, but I really don't think you can compromise until, until both parties have used, found their voice, used their voice, shared their voice and felt heard and validated by the other person. I really believe that then and only then healthy compromise can occur. Otherwise I think, you know, kind of like we were talking before, it just by definition turns into something else. By definition, it turns into, you know, I, I think concession. Concession is like, I'm going to give up my voice um, in the letting of you have what you want. Compromises, I have felt heard, you have felt heard. And in this instance, I am willing to behaviorally move in the direction of what you prefer or believe in or something like that. Absolutely. Forgiveness? Um, yeah, this is a, this is a whole podcast series. We should, we should. Um, there's a lot of versions out there uh, that are cheap and they're rushed and they create further disconnect and I think are incongruent. Ooh, yes, yes. I think I talk about concession. Sometimes spiritual concession is like, I forgive you. Do you forgive me? <laughs> okay, bye. Ooh, I have such an ugly face. The listeners can't <laughs> see it. Oh, I just think you nailed it. Yes. Yes. But we've, we've uh, put some spiritual glitter on it and said, but it's forgiveness. And we've reconciled. And I'm thinking, to what? What have we reconciled to? Yes. Yes. Amen. Like, to what exactly? Like, what is the fruit of this so-called forgiveness and reconciliation? And please don't mishear us. We are big fans. We are big fans of those those concepts and those commands, okay, uh, in Scripture and, and, and for those who are in um, the church, we, we are not anti those things. We just deeply believe that they are, I think they're taught cheaply far too often. I'm not saying everybody, I'm not naming names. I'm just saying far too often they are taught cheaply. And then, and, and we consume that cheap teaching because the cheap teaching I mean, you get what you pay for. Uh, it's it feels quick and easy, and so we 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 go after that stuff. Couples eat that up because they think it'll get them to relief faster. So they buy yeah. into cheap, quick forgiveness and reconciliation. And you're right. 
I'm like, what, what, what is this getting us? And it is often, it is, it is not the gospel and the Jesus that I know. I'll just put that out there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a harder and more narrow way. And I think creates more rupture and more, more disconnect. And you might momentarily feel the relief because I would say you're avoiding. (laughs) So in a very great avoidance tactic. Yes. Yes. Wrapped in spiritual glitter. (laughs) I'm with you. Yeah. I'm following your thought process here. We just did such good work there. And like, no, you didn't. And eventually it'll just cycle back. (laughs) No. I'm like, nope, you didn't. Nope, you didn't. You did not, in fact. Um, And I'll tell you that. If you choose to work with me, I'll say, hey, no, you didn't. Here's what you did do. And I think this is can, what you did do. I think you it can do better. You, you did. I think you can do better. We do. I also think, we yeah, do. again, I'm making the assumption that your goal is connection and a vibrant, you know, relationship that is flourishing. And if that's not your goal, then yeah, go cheap, go cheap all day long. Like go cheap. Know. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's areas in my life. I go cheap because I'm not that invested, but it, this, this is not one of them. Um, I'm going to propose a thought as we continue to build blocks. I don't think you can do that forgiveness work that we're talking about, like the real stuff, the real stuff. Mm. I don't think you can do that if you don't have all these other skills we talked about prior. I agree. (laughs) Do you? I'm, I'm, I'm having no. an extroverted moment. I mean, I'm thinking out loud. I, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying and understand you, and I agree. Could we have both? No. And I agree. Um, yes, yes. I like that. I feel very validated. <laughs> Conflict over. Um, no, yes. I think because it's painful. Because part of some of the models of forgiveness that you and I like to walk couples through involve being congruent, naming the hurt, naming what that was like, what it felt like, the cost of it. And you can't do that if you can't stand from an eye position and name your feelings and Mm-mm. be whole and healthy and differentiated and off the drama triangle. So can't do it it's not it's not possible it's not re it's something else by definition when you lose all those things Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. yeah last bucket the one that everybody wants to get to first vulnerability and intimacy yes intimacy is where we we like to start but it's really where we're going um yeah and it's not a destination. Uh-huh. It's an ongoing investment. The journey. It's a process. It's all the words that people hate to hear from therapists and coaches. From their counselor. Yeah. <laughs> they hate it. But it's true. It's true. It's true. They love it when they get there. Uh, yeah. And honestly, I feel like just real quick side trail on des- you know, destinations versus journeys and processes. I, I think... If, if we were ever able to separate it out, that I guess, meaning I would never be able to prove this in a, pro, in a process of any kind. I think couples would be disappointed if it was a destination. I think we want relief, but if we were ever to arrive at a point that there was nothing 
else left to travel to together, we would be frustrated. We are growth oriented beings. I don't actually think we want just destinations. I think we want relief that we categorize as destinations, but I, I think we would be frustrated if, if there was actually a place where you land that had nothing else beyond it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I think a lot of folks are miserable when they like just retire and do nothing. You know, it's like, I've gotten there. I work. Check. Sit. I think, no, you're not thriving. You're not flourishing. Like, yeah, I think we are growth oriented people to your point. And I think, yeah. And where you are today isn't where you always will be. And I, I think that, that too is true. And to look back at how far you've come, whether it's individually or as a couple, is it's always fun to revisit the process. Um, but I think, mm-hmm. yeah, arrival is one and not possible. But then at two, I think it sounds pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It actually doesn't sound very life giving to me at all. Um, few things in the vulnerability and intimacy kind of bucket. Again, we when we work with couples, uh, especially in our six month program. Um, we, we are unpacking multiple concepts in each of these buckets, but some of the big ones that I feel like if we're going to give away some, I don't know, insights, goals, concept maps for, for people to consider, um, this idea of, of mistaking intensity for intimacy. Uh, we actually do talk about this when we, when we did the episode on the drama triangle, um, there are other places where we start to kind of debunk that um, in, in all in all the buckets, biological, psychological, relational, uh, and then even spiritual. I mean, there, there are these places where as humans, we like to think or create intensity or take on intensity or intense experiences and believe that that is real intimacy and it's not. And so we, we spend a lot of time pushing up against that when we work with couples, uh, because the intensity can be a distraction for the real thing and getting distracted by something else that feels good. That keeps you from the real good thing is a very common issue. And so in- intensity versus intimacy, that's, that's one we, we spend a, a little bit of time on for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think another one is uh, vulnerability versus transparency. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, if you can't hear the flavor and need of <laughs> vulnerability in all of these steps, um, then we've not done our job <laughs> because vulnerability is just woven throughout. Because it does. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of um, ability to walk up to you know, something that is scary and not guaranteed. Um, but I think, we, and we see poor examples all around us. Um, oh, yeah. Right, where it's, I am being vulnerable, and what it really is is transparent, and it it can be very wounding. With shock factor. Just so wounding yeah. to yourself and to the other person in front of you. And then, I'm sorry, people, that is really difficult to engage sexually with. It's a transparent exchange. And then, hey, mm-hmm. let's go do something together sexually. That, yep. That's a hard, yep. that's a difficult leap, <laughs> you know? 
And it's really, it, it's, it's something that neither party wants because, mm-hmm. or is not satisfying for either party because even the transparent one who maybe even genuinely believes they're being vulnerable, they are, they are making a risk-free attempt and effort and hoping that it allows them to feel intimacy or connection but it's risk free if there's no vulnerability then that's not what's going to that's you can't that can't bear that fruit it it's impossible and so realizing that you're going to you know cut off your own hand here by going with transparency and so we do we spend a lot of time helping couples see this dynamic cuz because again sometimes it comes from a a real genuine place they don't know they're doing it um, and then helping them shift gears into that. And, and a lot of times what we will watch is the struggle with the risk factor and allowing themselves to be at risk with this other person. It's a, that's a hard choice. Yeah. That's a hard choice to make. I, I get it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's difficult. And again, I think, and I feel like this is true of all the steps that we're talking about here, all the processes, all the experiences it's an ongoing growth, again, to our earlier point. It's an ongoing growth pattern, meaning once you realize the value of vulnerability, maybe you experience something really, really tender and vulnerable in your relationship. You feel very intimately connected. You go, wow, we need to keep doing that. And you do that. And it may be like four days later that you have a very transparent moment with your spouse and the rupture happens and we got to go through the whole cycle again because what you're learning guys yep. is like how to go through a cycle here versus okay we did that you know check again it was not a destination it's this process that you're learning and you yes. and you know so I just I don't want to paint the picture that like I don't know we get to vulnerability and we just we live in the land of vulnerability all the time. It's like, no, we all we all have transparent moments. I have them myself, and I love to cloak them in vulnerability and call it that, but it's just being a jerk, and I'm being transparent, and that's <laughs> not okay, you know? Or it's, 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 you know, it's definitely not connecting. It's not helpful if I want intimacy. In especially, especially if you're offering transparency and demanding that it be experienced as vulnerability that one oh, oh that's probably oh you know it oh, you have seen it in your office oh step on toes <laughs> i just it's like well i just offered no no you didn't no you didn't <laughs> just just letting you know right now you did not i'm being vulnerable you know like sounds screaming like screaming it. it like whoa well um okay well or are you? Yeah, I mean, I'm experiencing you as vulnerable right now in this moment. <laughs> Sometimes I become sassy. Okay, last thing. Let's end with this. You know, the idea of vulnerability and intimacy, this fourth bucket is, and ever, all of these things, all of these things we've talked about help us develop um, and heal uh, attachment, the ability to sync up and be attuned with another person. Um, our person, right? Um, to your point, we're not talking about halves. We're talking about whole people, but your person, like to be able to be in sync with them and, and tuned in with them and move in and out of 
um, ruptures because we have confidence in being able to repair. Having healthy attachment is not about having no ruptures. Can we just Mm -mm. debunk that myth? Yeah. For all of the brilliant attachment people out there teaching this, it's still such a prevalent myth. Having healthy attachment is not about being rupture free. Having healthy attachment is about having the confidence and ability to repair. Yeah. And so that is, that is, that's a big deal to be available, to be vulnerable, to risk getting hurt, to know that ruptures happen and to be able to repair. Yeah. And I hope that that phrase that you just shared will be freeing and inviting to people into this process because I think, and sometimes, and again, I see this taught, I see it sold in books and I see it out there in a lot of counseling and coaching and improvement spaces and even churches where it's just this, it's about there never being the rupture and then we feel the attachment wound and go, well, I must be the only one. And then we disappear in our shame. And I think find freedom in going, no, we're all going to rupture. We're going to rupture multiple times in a week, sometimes multiple times in a day. And it's more about the repair and walking through mm-hmm. the steps than it is getting it perfect every single time. Mm-hmm. Amen, sister. Amen. So let's wrap it back around. These are the things that we look for and like to equip on the front end of just any process. These are when we see a hole in one of these, so we're like, hey, this has got to happen because we really do believe they are so foundational. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's exciting is when we work with couples, if even begrudgingly, if they go through that part of the process, they get on the other side of it, regardless of what they originally came in to work with us to do. And they go, you know, you know, all that stuff you made us work through. That was the secret sauce. And we're like, yeah, we know mm-hmm. because, because they get to take that with them. Mm-hmm. They get to take that with them for all the curveballs life is going to continue to throw. They get to take that with them. And so, yeah. um, so we did not invent these things. Um, I think we're really darn good at coaching through them, which if you know these things and for whatever reason, it's not hitting the mark with you and your person, you might need a coach. Yeah, That's all I'll say. It's in the books. Maybe you've read the books. Maybe you understand the concept, but getting it into practice and application is sometimes a really long journey. And sometimes you just need an extra set of eyes and ears and hands to help you do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we love doing. Yeah, we sure do. It's my favorite. So if you are interested in working with us, this is probably the first time we've ever plugged this on our podcast, but we are um, getting ready to launch uh, a set of groups. We only launch a few times a year um, for our coaching uh, marriage coaching groups. We basically lay the foundation of these things plus a few other things and have a a really curated and intentional process that we walk couples through over the course of six months. Uh, It is an investment. Uh, We think you are worth it. Um, And we think we are really good at doing this with people who are ready to work because um, it's fun. You and I, you and I balance each other in the space and in the room. And so us working as, as Mm co-coaches 
uh, has been really, really neat. I mean, we, we just get to do this really fun thing uh, in a way that I think is unique to how we've put it together. So I, I love it. I do. It's a lot of fun. So you want to come enrich your relationship and do it with two really fun people? Check us out. We're those people. So that we end the show like we always end the show. What was your takeaway today? I think really good things take a lot of effort and humility, but they're worth it. I think healthy, connected relationships take a lot of work. And there's a lot of grief to realizing it's not what we see in the movies. Um, but gosh, when you lean in, it's so rich. It's so beautiful. And, and I think it's worth it. I'll piggyback on that. As we kind of talked through everything today, and have, I'm having so much fun talking about this with you. I am reflecting on conversations that I've had recently with loved ones, colleagues, friends, mentors. I, I think maybe I hope maybe both. I I think there's a shift happening where people are beginning to realize that this investment is worth it culturally. Mm. Like an openness to, to like, maybe this investment is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. At least I hope so. Me too. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain. 